That's really what defines us. We're not defined by our weaknesses. We're not defined by our failures or our successes for that matter. We're defined by our connection to God and the ability to be selfless and seek meaning and purpose. You are listening to The JP Show, where we discuss the issues you care about from a Jewish perspective. I am Rabbi G. I am Rabbi Levy. And we hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm Rabbi G. Great to be back. I was traveling for a little bit, which explains the interruption. So today I want to talk about narcissism. Why am I talking about narcissism? Because recently I've been reading some literature from two great psychologists and researchers, Gene Twenge and Keith Campbell, who have both written a book together called The Epidemic of Narcissism, in which they claim that in the last number of years there's been an alarming increase in narcissistic behavior and narcissism. Now, narcissism in its own right is a diagnosed disorder, but sometimes people have, they're they're not narcissistic in the technical sense, but they have narcissistic tendencies. And it's a fascinating read and a lot of discussion. Um, And it's something they call the epidemic of narcissism. They talk about a, a 30% increase over the last number of years, which is incredible. On a simple level, on a shallow level, they sort of blame this a bit on the celebrity culture in which we live, where we celebrate people who completely focused on themselves, who are obsessed all day on posting what they've done on social media, how they look, what they've eaten, what snacks they've had, and so on and so forth. But then they go into something deeper and they say they actually blame the self-esteem movement, where they say that the self-esteem movement made children um, much more self-centered and self-absorbed. In one interview I saw with Keith Campbell, uh, an interviewer asks him and says, is it true that you have to love yourself before you can love others? And he says, no, it's not true. People who love themselves are self-absorbed and manipulative. Just be kind to other people, which is quite an extreme and shocking statement because people always talk about loving yourself Uh, in order to love others and so on. So I was wondering about this and, you know, self-esteem is something which has always been seen as a good thing, building self-esteem. I myself have given many lectures on self-esteem based on the works of Rabbi Tversky. And I was wondering, is self-esteem good? Is building self-esteem a good thing, a bad thing? How do we clarify this? And I wanted to share with you briefly a Jewish perspective on this idea. And I think it all depends what you mean when you say self-esteem. And I think here's the confusion of terminology. So let me briefly, and this, of course, this is like bullet points because this is a long topic, of course, um, highlight a concept which is spoken about in the book of Tanya, um, the seminal work of Chabad Chassidus, where the author talks about the two souls that we have. We have the animal soul and and the godly souls. The animal soul is that force within us that is about self-preservation, about physicality, about staying alive. It's also a selfish, because it's about survival and self-preservation, is egocentric. It drives us to do what is pleasurable here and now in the moment. And it gives birth and it often breeds a lot of um, toxic behavior, toxic emotions. um, And left untamed or left unchanneled, it can produce quite a very, very highly self-absorbed person with anger or resentment or indulgence or laziness or jealousy or whatever other um, vice or, or, or weakness that we might have. And then he talks about that we also have the godly soul, which is the opposing force within ourselves, which is the force that drives us to a higher meaning and purpose, drives us to be godly. It is selfless. 
it inspires us to go beyond ourselves, to make room for others, make room for God, and so on. And then he makes a very interesting observation. And he says, out of these two souls, which one is the conscious self? And he says that for most people, unless people who are extremely godly and holy, for most people, the conscious self is the animal soul. We know that we have a godly soul. We try to connect to it and we try to be inspired by it. But our conscious self is actually our animal soul. With all of its self-centeredness and egocentricity. However, the real self is the godly soul, the purity that we have. Our definition, our true definition, deep down, is actually the spark of godliness which we all have. That's really what defines us. We're not defined by our weaknesses. We're not defined by our failures or our successes for that matter. We're defined by our connection to God and the ability to be selfless and seek meaning and purpose. So here we have an interesting distinction between the conscious self and the real self. And I think this would help, this idea, this terminology would really help understand bad self-esteem and good self-esteem. If when we build up self-esteem in children, for example, it's about you have an intrinsic value, no matter how bad you might be, no matter how weak or strong you might be, but actually deep down you are always worthy, that's a very different concept than saying your conscious self is wonderful. The same thing like with unconditional love. When we say we unconditionally love our children, what part of them do we love? Do we love the fact that they lie sometimes? The fact that they didn't do their homework? The fact that they got angry and lost and had a tantrum? No, we are connected to them. We love their intrinsic self. That's an intrinsic bond between us and them. And in fact, when self-esteem is about loving the intrinsic value of a person, the intrinsic self, in fact, it creates more responsibility. It creates a drive to be selfless. You know, you're really good on the inside. You have capacity for resilience. You have capacity to improve. Because you, you messed up, but you are really intrinsically worthy, you have the ability then to make amends, to repair and rebuild, because you are not defined by your egocentricity. You're not defined by your failures or your toxic emotions. That's good self-esteem when we, when we push children and we say you can actualize your potential, you can grow, you can do more, you can improve, you can become a better person, you become a more selfless person because you are intrinsically valuable. You've always got that intrinsic godly spark. But where self-esteem movement did go wrong is that it started accepting and loving and boosting and celebrating the conscious self which is all the stuff that we have, which is animalistic and impulsive and often toxic and maybe even evil. It's normal to have it. It's normal to have these emotions. We all have an animal. We're not evil because we have an animal. But it's an animal. And it's not our real self. It's our conscious self. And therefore, it's something which we have to work on, tame, channel, improve, transform, and use for the good. So when we talk about Nowadays, there's all these expressions that get bandied around all the time. Self-acceptance, self-love, all that kind of stuff. We need to clarify, what do we mean when we say self? If it's the conscious self, which I fear most people do mean, then self-acceptance is not a good thing, necessarily. What are we accepting? We're accepting that we get angry? We're accepting that we're jealous? We're accepting that we do the wrong thing? No. Self-love should be. We should have a certain element of self-love, but it's loving our true self, our inner self, not our conscious self. Our true godly spark, our connection to God that we all have, and that's how we are defined, and we use that then to take care of our conscious self and inspire it, change it, 
channel it and transform it and improve it. So that's my little opening statement. And now we're going to have a bit of a discussion. Sorry, about Levi, how are you doing? Very good. Very happy you're back. Um, a little bit overloaded here the past two weeks. No, I think you, from what I hear, you did a really great job in holding the fort. I should have extended my trip a little bit more. You might be. You should be careful not to compliment me too much. I might become a little bit narcissistic. Which, okay. uh, I'll, I'll, which actually I'll... leads the interesting discussion right away. Actually, you, talk, you, you, you spoke about narcissism. Complimenting people does that make people narcissistic? Like, for example, like complimenting your children. Should you over like, Should you ratio the compliments to the criticism? Should you be criticizing your children more than you compliment them? Should you be complimenting more than you criticize them? What would you say to that? So, you know, when they talk about about the negative self-esteem movement, right? Um, it's about inflating children's perception of themselves. I don't think it means necessarily to counter that you have to bash them down all the time. Like, those children are very sensitive and you have to be very careful. Um, I just saw a letter of a Babacher Rebbe, actually, about someone asking uh, the Rebbe how to deal with a child that has um, a problem with stealing. So the Rebbe says he's not going to get into it because sometimes it, it's a pathology, sometimes it's not, and he's not going to analyze the child from a, from a distance. But he makes a few... Kleptomania, I think it's called. Yeah, 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 yeah. kleptomania, sure. So, so the Rebbe makes a few observations and, you know, how you need to work with the child and explain to him that, is, you know, that it is the wrong thing and, and so on. At the end, the Rebbe makes a very important point. He says, but I want to just make a point that it's very important not to create an impression for the child that he's worthless and he should be overwhelmed and give up hope that he can never improve. In other words, what the Rebbe is saying there, with the child, you have to be a little bit careful not to accept the, the failure, right? Stealing is bad, and we should never tell a child that it's okay and normal to steal. You need to accept them. You need to accept them, and you need to give them hope because of their soul, because of their real self, right? It could be better. But in terms of compliments, I think, I think this is the issue, from what I understand. There's nothing wrong to compliment someone for doing something that is meaningful and purposeful and actually good. Yeah. We have in, in we have in the Torah, for example, the concept of gratitude, hakorasatoiv, to actually appreciate someone when they've done something for you, for example. Um, in that note, I'm very appreciative that you did all my pulled in for me while I was away. That's right, <laughs> right. But praise has to be not inflated. So you know, I don't know if we've told the story before, but I heard the story from Rabbi Tversky once um, that he once went to visit because he was very into the self-esteem movement. But he he more he more spoke about it from a, from a positive self-esteem. And he told, he told the story that he once went to his grandson's house, and his grandson was learning the violin, and the grandson came over and said, Zadie, Zadie, I want to, can I show you what I, what, what I can play? And he played a song, and it was absolutely terrible. So he's thinking to himself, what should he say? Um, it's wonderful, that you're amazingly talented, you're Mozart, I mean, like, it's ridiculous, yeah. right? So he didn't. But he did say to the child, you know, I recognize that song, why don't you play it again, and I'll sing it with you. And the child felt very good. Right. Uh, you know, that, so... Yeah, so when praise is misplaced, it's, it's bad. It's, it's bad because we're saying, you know, you're a wonderful person. We're not, none of us are wonderful. We have an animal soul that needs improvement. We're here, we're here in this world to improve and to grow. Right. To make, to make it a little more nuanced, maybe, I, how, how do you strike the balance between being honest with someone and being, being kind to them? So this will be true in many contexts, right? So if, you, if you're married to someone who thinks they're good at something that they're not. Let's so say you got married to someone... And uh, they, 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 you realize they really can't sing, but they really think they can sing, and they think they're an excellent chazan and shul. 
as a, as a new spouse, should you come home and say, you know, you're an amazing singer, or should you be honest with them? I think you, you should try a different career, or uh, whatever, any example. Um, <laughs> has, your, has your wife been talking to you lately? Well, no, she never she, she, uh, never told me that, no. Maybe, so that's what I'm asking. Maybe she's just, she's just too nice to say anything. No, no, you, you happen to be a pretty good husband, but... Or um, many, or children, or any example like that. Like sometimes it could be not good to, to hide the truth from someone. On the other hand, you don't want to... You don't want to break someone if they think they're really good at something. So I think that's the gauge. I mean, you don't want to break someone, so you don't break them. So you've got to be very careful. It's got to be effective. It's got to be for a reason. It's got to be someone, number one, that's in your circle of influence, because otherwise, why are you saying it? Like, what's, what's, what's the point? I mean, if I go to shul, for example, and there's a chazan, not you, but there's a chazan who can't sing, um, I'm not going to go tell him he can't sing because I don't, I'm not his rabbi, necessarily, and I'm not his mentor, and I'm not his... So here's the interesting question. Why is no one else told him he can't sing? If you objectively, I mean, there are some people who objectively cannot sing. Some people, you know, it depends on the style, you know, like this style, some do like this style. There's some people who objectively cannot sing but really think they can. So, is it because their parents never told them? No, so I think it is. encouraged them anyway? Like, I think, I think someone did make a mistake along the line of not breaking it to them that they, <laughs> they're in the wrong area. And, and because we do find people who go into things that are just not for them. I mean, you have teachers, you have... You have yeah, you have rabbis, so many doctors, yeah. I don't know go into things that's clearly not for them and no one's ever broken it to them and no one's ever out of love out of out of out of out of real connection told them that you know you're you it doesn't also i think it's also the context of how you tell it to them right if you tell them you know you are a lousy singer but your message also is that you actually are defined by your singing and therefore you're a lousy singer which makes you then into a lousy person that's very bad messaging because this it's exactly the opposite of what we're talking about Right, I think if, you, if you, your message is, and if you're close enough to the person that you have that connection to them, and they know that you really value them intrinsically, and you don't define them by the ability to sing or lack of ability to sing, then it's a different message. Yeah. Like, I love you. I actually think you're a really beautiful person. You have so many unbelievable traits, and you're intrinsically beautiful and worthy and so on and so forth. But singing is just not for you. Right. Do you think that everyone is good at something? I mean... I'm yeah, so like if, if you have a child who is not particularly talented, so it's very, like, you know, if you have someone, let's say, who, who's a, who can draw very well, who's a very good artist, but they can't sing well, so at least then you can tell them, you know what, maybe focus on the drawing, not the singing. But let's say the child doesn't particularly shine in any specific area. What do you, what do, you do then? So I don't, think, I don't think it's possible. I think, number one, by the very fact that God created us means we have competencies. Right. In other words, we have areas in life that we can achieve in, where that now that could be something that we need to learn to do with hard work, or it could be something that we have naturally, we just have to find it and discover it. And not necessarily means an intellectual thing, it could be a different character. Thing. It could be character, it could be a, an amazing ability of, of helping people. And that's, as parents, that's one of our greatest challenges and tasks to actually find, within the context of the values that we share with our children, to find where they can particularly shine. Mm. I think that's that's really important. If God has given all of, uh, besides giving us a soul which is intrinsically always pure and connected to Him, right. He has given us weaknesses. He's given all of us weaknesses and things to work on, and has also given us competencies. Yeah, talking about compliments, even though this has nothing to do with narcissism, or maybe it does. Do you think compliments, using compliments wisely, could be a way to impart values? So, like, if your child does well on a test, not because they particularly tried that hard, just because they're, they're just smart or whatever okay you compliment them a little bit but you don't make a massive deal about it but then when they share with their friends you make a very very big deal about it is that 
impart, is that a good way to impart values? That actually, I value the fact that you share more than doing all of the tests. Academics is nice, but it's not really what life's about. Yeah, and no, I hear that, but you have to also be careful because you don't want them to think that you un, you're devaluing the academics. So if a child has a talent to learn well, right? And they did well on the test. Most part, no one just does well because they're smart. They have to have some work, right? Right. So you have to compliment them. You have to strengthen that. And you have to also say, well, you know, I can see you're doing really well for the last three tests. Maybe we can now challenge you with something deeper, like um, maybe take you to, to the, the next level. So you always have to push someone to grow, but not, not, not uh, devalue, I should say, or not undervalue the achievements that they have had, even if it's just academics, right? Because it is a value. If they're able to do well, it's a value. You want them to do well. Right. The, the, the mistake parents make is they want all children to do well and they define them by their, right, those who can and, and those who can't. But if a, child, if a child can do well and doesn't, that's a problem but from a value point of view. Because again, they have a talent from God to be able to do well and they're not doing well. They're not, they're but even a child who could, who could do well, isn't there more important things in life than doing well? Or you can't measure what's important? I don't think life. you can measure. I mean, for example, let's say in, in a Jewish context, if they can do well, one of, one of our values is to learn Torah, for example, right. Right? And, and that's an important thing. Now, if it comes to the exclusion, like if they do well and then put down someone that hasn't done well or, yeah. or become arrogant and, and feel themselves superior, that's where you've got to sort of guide them, right? Where, where you know, you did well, but other people do well, other things, and everyone does well, and it's a God-given talent, and we need to be humble. We all have talents, but it's from God. It's not our own doing necessarily. You know, that kind of things. Yeah. Do you think, um, going back to narcissism, I'm sure this is like an obvious point, but when it comes to uh, you're saying that narcissism is on the rise, a big part of that definitely has to do with phones and technology, I think for many reasons. Um, first of all, I think also, you know, you, you, you actually sent me something unbelievable this week about the idea of people being on their phones and just not being aware of what's going on around them. Besides the fact that it's dangerous, literally, I've seen people cross the street looking at their phones. I mean, that's like literally they can get hit by a car. Um, I'll get to what you sent me in a second. Besides the fact that it's dangerous, it also sort of makes you enveloped in your own world. And being enveloped in your own world is a, is an ingredient for narcissism. So it's on, you're 100% right. I'd say it's on two layers. First of all, being involved in your own world takes away the ability to have empathy. Besides on a simple level of not being aware, just also you're not observing other people. You're not seeing their pain. You're not seeing their... Happiness, you're not seeing where they're up to, you're not gauging them. So there's studies out that empathy has dropped dramatically since yeah. the since the uh, phone came in, yeah. since the technology. Which is unbelievable. I mean, what you sent me was, was incredible. It was the school bus. I mean, it went, went viral all over the place. Um, the bus driver had some sort of seizure or some sort of medical emergency while driving. And one kid just got up and slammed the brakes and saved the entire bus load of kids from being potentially dying on, on, you know, from a crash or something. And it came out that, that no one else actually realized what was happening because he was the only kid who didn't have a phone. Yeah. Uh, and what's actually interesting about the interview is, you know, kids are kids and they ask the kid, so like, now do you agree with the fact that your parents didn't let you have a phone? And he actually wasn't even so sure, because ki- which, which emphasizes the, the point that kids actually don't really know what's best for them. You actually That's fine. Ha- you need parenting. It's not the job of the kid to be happy with what That's the right. parents say. It's the job of the parents. Good shout out for those parents. I don't know who they are, but yeah. good on them for withstanding social pressure and saying to the child, no, you're not going to have an iPhone. doesn't matter that your whole class has one. We, we're not doing it yet. You're too young for it. Yeah. And that's great. And look what happened. And we saved their lives. Yeah. Which is absolutely So, amazing. I mean, we shudder to think about kids who are on their iPhones all day, what that's going to do to their relationships. And besides the content. So then you go to the content, right? Very young. Unfortunately, they're being introduced very young to social media. And 
sometimes very inappropriate material, all of that is messing them up. Yeah. And social media is definitely making them, social media transports them to a very fake world of where how many likes you get is, is, is important. And everything is perfect. And, and do you think also, uh, another thing with social media is that people are not, for lack of a better word, are not menschlich many times. Um, they don't talk to people on social media like you talk to someone there in front right. of you. And therefore, people put down people. Do you think, if someone put down a lot, could that make them narcissistic? If they are put down? Yeah, if someone puts you down a lot as a child, would that make you grow up? It's sort of counterintuitive, but sometimes yeah, no, when you're so, sort so, of broken inside, you have to sort of heal it by thinking you're amazing and convincing yourself you're amazing. So it's interesting. I haven't finished reading the book, but they, they claim it's two different things. Like insecurity and narcissism are two different things. Right. And narcissism is more just a self-absorption. Um, I mean, I think they could be linked sometimes to insecurity. But that could be, it can make a person particularly insecure. And sometimes insecure people have to overprotect themselves, so it becomes a form of narcissism, I, think, yeah. I guess. But it's, it's a separate thing, really. It's a separate concept. Right. So how do you define narcissism? <laughs> so I think... It's not just regular ego, right? It's a little more than that. No, but it, but it starts, more, it starts with regular ego. Yeah, that's completely, much more. It's a person, it's an individual who is completely wrapped in themselves and is deeply absorbed in their own world to the point where they actually have not, they're not in touch with anyone else's feelings or anyone else's needs or anyone else's considerations, for example, and just see the world through their own prism. I mean, there's some very extreme examples. There was, you know, some of the, certain criminals, narcissists often are criminals. Not often, I mean, not always, but they are prone to criminal behavior. And these are people who um, lack, they might murder and, and lack complete ability to empathize with the family or the victim but are worried about uh, their meal that they got in prison or something. I mean, right. stories like that, right? Yeah. And that's a very extreme extreme thing, but people who are just completely in their own world. How does that affect marriages? Very badly. One of the biggest fallouts from narcissism is, is relationships. Really? Because you can't. It's yeah. very hard to be married to a narcissist. Um, because a relationship, by definition, is, is being able to make room for, for another. A narcissist does not make room for another. Can a narcissist change? If someone is diagnosed, narcissist, I mean, if there's such a thing, is there a diagnosis? Yeah, there is, there is, there is. Yeah. There's, a, there's a narcissism test, I've got what it's called. And today it's a diagnosable condition. Can the, someone change? The answer is yes, but it's very difficult because the problem is, as we know with all mental health issues, and narcissism will be a, with particular emphasis, is that you need to know you're unwell to get help. Right. It's very hard for a narcissist to actually know that they're unwell because... Could anything happen in their life that they would, they would realize that... that that they're the problem, or they're always no. I'm always the. I'm. I'm not never the problem. Yeah, I mean, you know, you said you tend to see an huge amount of blaming. It's always someone else's fault. It's always this, always that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe sometimes people like like with a lot of addictions and stuff. Same thing. But people hit rock bottom, and maybe if they have a really good person in their life who can sit down with them and really with love, but with real honesty, tell them you're killing yourself. You've got to go for help. Right. Maybe. Maybe they could. Okay, and what that help looks like, maybe we'll talk in another podcast. Yeah, and I think, well, <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. And, um, but I think, I think the point of this discussion is to look at things that we could do to remove or to help early stages of narcissism. Yeah. So in order that we don't let the ball just roll and develop into full-blown narcissism. Things like, I mean, parents out there, if you need to, to really control technology with your children, we need to talk about selflessness. We need to not inflate the ego. All these kind of things. And we need to, and we need to be assertive. And we need to be able to love our children unconditionally, but at the same time, be able to direct in the right 
direction to be able to tell them no, and so on. Wonderful. Okay. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful day. Hope you enjoyed it. See you next time. Thank you for listening to The JP Show. For questions, comments, and feedback, please email rabbig at bina, B-I-N-A, dot com, dot A-U. See you next time.